welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The U.S. national debt is over $19 trillion. Some say we'll never be able to pay it back, no matter how hard we try, and it will eventually lead to economic ruin. But we can't comprehend $19 trillion as a number, so our brain stops at 19, and it doesn't seem so bad. We have the same problem, understanding our sin debt. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this message entitled The Story That Easter Validates, which covers Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Thank you for joining us today. So the big deal, what's the big deal about Easter? I mean, did you notice that uh, there are just a few more people here? (laughs) I mean, we make a big deal of this Easter, do we not? I mean, I've looked at some of the way you're dressed. I mean, even... Even Jeff dressed up. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is an unusual day, isn't it? We, we make this Easter to be everything. Why is that? Why the big deal? Maybe a better question is this. How important is Easter to what we know of as the story of the Christian faith? How important is it? I know this, that... The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he put it this way. He said, look, if there is no resurrection, then our faith, it's in vain. This is a man who would go to his grave, to his death because of his faith. This is a man who would stay in prison. He said, look, it's all about this thing called the resurrection. If it isn't real, our faith isn't real either. One person has described it, one author describes it as the last page in the story of redemption. I like to think of it as an exclamation point. Think about that. Here is the story, and then there's this grand explanation point. And let me tell you, if there's no explanation point, there is no story. If there's a story, then there's got to be an exclamation point, because this is the story of redemption by grace. Now, I would assume that every person here, maybe there's an exception or two, but every person is a theist. Theist means God. This is, means we believe in God. Regardless of what else we believe, we do believe there's a God. As opposed to being an atheist, a non-theist, we call it atheist. We're probably all theists. I will assure you, among the theists of this world, whether we're Christian or not, the theists of this world are confused more on one issue than all other issues, and that's this issue. How do you rightly relate to God? What does it take when we leave this this body on earth as we know it now, and we face this God, what does it take to be in right relationship with Him? It's the most confusing of all issues. Most all people, I mean the vast, vast majority of people believe it has to do with one's record, the moral record. If my moral record is good enough because God loves goodness, and therefore if we can be good enough, he'll love us. So it's all about pushing up our moral record, making it as good as possible. Even among those who are true Christians, and I mean really believing people, They follow Jesus. They believe in what we call the good news of the gospel. In all of us, there is this little sense, there's this nagging sense that it's it's got something to do with my record, how I 
And so we find ourselves, even as Christians, trapped in performance. Well, if I don't do this, God won't. If I do this, God will. And, I may, and it's all, it's just something in us says it's all about performance. Well, let's just give some definition to this story, as I'm calling it. The story of redemption by grace. If you look up the word story in a dictionary, you'd probably read something like this. I know one that I looked at. It said it's telling an event or perhaps a series of events. If you look up the word redemption, you're going to see that it's possessing something by means of paying a debt. You purchase, you find something that you can't have because there's something owed to have it. You pay what's owed and you get it and you redeem it as it's called. The word grace is simply unmerited favor. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. When you put that together and start thinking about this thing we call the story of grace by faith, it's the most important story of all. And it means nothing without the exclamation point. See, my fear is that there would be people here who would say, oh, oh, oh. I believe in exclamation point. I come to church believing in the resurrection, but if you don't get the story, it means nothing. So I want us to dive into that story. I want us to understand it. And for you here that are seekers, and we use the name seeker just to refer to people who are seeking the answers to the faith of Christianity. What's it about? Is it for me? Is it real, legitimate, and so forth? Boy, you picked a great day to come because this thing called the resurrection that we celebrate this day it literally validates. If the resurrection is true, it validates this story. But we got to understand the story. So my hope for you that are seekers. You're going to leave this place and you will never, ever be confused. You will know at least up here, even if you're struggling, you're going to know this is, this is how the story is told. For you here that are, are believers, Large numbers of us here. We're real followers. My hope for every one of us is there's going to be something that resonates in this story. It's going to be made so clear that you're going to say, I can't forget the story. And if you can't forget the story, you're going to find your Christian faith being what it was meant to be. So with that, I'm going to give you four words. My goal is to make this as simple as I can make it. When I started the first of the week, it was a little bit more complex, and I just have simplified and simplified. In fact, you will find that in your outline, the words that I'm going to use are a little different. Follow what I'm saying here because I've simplified it even further since I turned in that outline to the office, okay? Were I given, were I given two more days to prepare, I think this would be a four-minute sermon. I really do. <laughs> But my goal is that we're going to all get it. So here are the four words. Kids, I know we got a number of kids here. I want the kids to be able to remember this, and you can. And here are the four words. Number one, the word debt. Debt is not being able to pay something that you owe. So that's the first key word of this story of redemption by grace. Number two is the word enemy. As a result of debt, we have an enemy. And I'm going to explain that enemy to us. Let me assure you that the next two points, people will embrace a lot deeper than the first two. You can go to church after church after church, and you're going to hear a whole lot about the next two. 
But unless you understand the first two, the last two make very little difference, trust me. Here's number three, it's the word gift. There's a great gift that's given to us, which leads to number four, which is friend. We gain a friend. Now, with that little four-word outline, I'm going to use a human story. It's my own personal story, a human story of relational grace. I think it's through this story that you will be able to very carefully remember what is the most important story. That's the divine story. Now, I will say that I gave this story right after it happened 22 years ago. I gave it in a message. I then gave it again over 10 years ago. I've given it twice. I've used this story. I'm now defined by this story in places where people don't even know me. I literally, literally have been places like California and say, I'm Randy. I'm the pastor of Perimeter Church. And they go, oh, you're the one. And then they relate this story back to me. I'm defined by this story. Well, I can't give it about every decade because it takes that long to restore my self-esteem. <laughs> so if I'm alive in 10 years and still preaching somehow, somewhere, however, you may hear it again, but you're not going to hear this for a long, long time. But I think it does relate well. So let me give you the first event. The first event we said is debt, and we put it up like this. It's an insurmountable debt, an insurmountable debt. Let me give you the human story. The beginning of this church, our elder leadership said, hey, don't you think it'd be good? Why don't you go off for a week every quarter or so and, and spend time alone and think and pray and discern the Lord's heart on issues that we're facing and come back and, and we'll uh, deal with those things. But just spend that time with God and make it a special time. So I have a good friend in Hilton Head, South Carolina, who had told me if you need a place to stay, you know, let me know. I can, I can typically find a, a condo or a villa somewhere that you can stay. And so I had called him, and my good friend had found me a place. And, and so I met him there, and he let me in, and I'd see this very, very, very nice condo. I go, wow, I didn't need something this nice, but okay, good. And then I put out all my books, and I start my little study stuff. And as I'm doing my work, I would not eat very much. I would, I don't, you know, it's just a kind of a, a very simple, simple time. And so that night I was getting really hungry, and I said, well, I brought some popcorn. I'll just fix some popcorn. So I looked everywhere. I brought popcorn and oil, but I assumed that everybody, certainly everybody has a popcorn popper. And this very, very nice place had no popper. I couldn't believe it. So I said, well, you know, people used to eat popcorn without poppers, so I know how you do it. You just put some oil in a pan. So I found a pan, put some oil, put a number of kernels in there, and I said, I'll just wait till they pop, and I stood there. I was right in the middle of something, and I'm just waiting. I said, man, this is going to take forever. I'll hear it pop. So I go back into my room, around the corner, into the room, and I start working, and I got absorbed in what I was doing. Totally forgot about the popcorn. Well, in about 10 minutes or whatever it was, I all of a sudden had this horrible stench. I mean, the worst stench you can imagine. I, it was like, it was nauseating. I said, what could that be? And I went, that's oil. Oh, no. And so I jump up, remembering that I had forgotten 
the popcorn, and as I turn the corner, I see a flash of fire, a ring of fire the same size as the pan, and it goes all the way up to the ceiling through the cab- up to the cabinets. I mean, right up. I mean, I'm catching this place on fire. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my goodness. By this time, the smoke was so dense, all I could see in the room was this column of fire. And so I said, I got to get that. So uh, I ran to it immediately. I grabbed the handle, and immediately as I pulled it up, I said, uh-oh, and I had to drop it because it was just burning hot. I couldn't hold it. And I dropped it on the counter. I found my way into the bathroom. I found a towel. I grabbed the towel. I grabbed the handle. I run out the door. I, pa- I, I literally on the second floor of the balcony, I open up the, the window there, and I put it on the door, and I put it down on the ground, and I literally hung over the balcony trying to catch my breath. I couldn't breathe. It was so bad. And I had to stay out there for a long time. Because I couldn't even walk in until finally I said, I've got to go in and examine. And, and I'm throwing, you know, the windows open and trying to, trying to get the thing cleared out. And so I look at the cabinets. And they've just been burned. They're charred. They're worthless. I look at the counter where I had initially set the pot. And there was a ring the size of the pot, a bubble of black burned countertop that showed exactly where I dropped the pan. I started just looking around and examining, and I realized I may have ruined everything in this apartment. If you smell the curtains, oh. The furniture, anything with upholstery, oh. I go outside, and there's the pot. I say, well, at least I can clean the pot. And I reach down, and it's adhered to synthetic outdoor carping. It will not budge. <laughs> When I finally get it up, I pull up the carpet with the pot. I had to dispose the pot. I mean, it was like, it, I ruined the place. Well, there was no more study that week. All I'm doing is talking to contractors. I'm calling people, finding who does home repairs, who can come in. They come in and they say, well, Mr. Pope, it's a little bit bigger problem than you realize because you can't just go buy cabinets to put in here. These are custom built. And, and, and these countertops, these are very expensive stuff, and, and you, you can't just go simply replace it. And, and oh, by the way, yeah, you, you're going to lose this furniture because they'll probably never be able to get the smell out of this furniture. And the curtains, they're certainly, they're certainly ruined. And, and you know, you're probably going to have to repaint everything because this stuff is against the walls. I mean, it is bad. You have, you've destroyed this whole place. <laughs> I am sick. So I get the estimate. What will this? Oh, my goodness. Not only did I have no savings, but it wouldn't matter if I had. It would take me years, and there's no way that I can pay for the damage I've done. It is ruined. Let me tell you, I realized I am in big-time debt. Now, that's the human story, but there is the divine story. And I'll assure you, it is a whole lot worse. Because the divine story says there's a holy God. I mean, when I say holy God, I mean perfect God. This is a perfect God who always does what he says. And he has declared if we sin, we have to die. Death. You see, the story, the divine story is there's this moral tab that just keeps Increasing, And actually, in Psalm 51, it says it starts 
at the very conception of life. And I mean every thought that we have, every attitude that's bad, every word, every deed, whether it be private, whether it be public, whether it be intentional, whether it be unintentional, it just doesn't matter. It's just clocking and going and going and going and going. And what you and I think is if we just work real hard to develop a big asset of moral goodness, we maybe can offset the moral tab. Well, here's how our text, Colossians 2, open in your Bibles there if you have it. It's just two verses, but they're very simple and they, they give us the entire story. Here it is. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out, and look what it says, the certificate of debt, that's that moral tab, the certificate of debt, and it says consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He says dead. There's a reason he uses that word dead. We're dead in our moral tab. We have no, we're helpless. A dead person's helpless. It'd be, can you imagine going up to somebody in the casket, you're at the viewing time, and, and, and he owes you $3,000. Can you imagine leaning over the casket saying, okay, look, I know you're going to be gone in just a day or two. $3,000. Give it to me, buddy. Give it to me. $3,000. i got to get it. Oh, you'd say, oh, that's stupid. You, you can't get it from him. Why? Because he's dead. You can't pay when you're dead. And so he uses that term. We think we can show our moral assets won't work. Do you know what I did? I went out and bought Brillo pads. This is stupid. <laughs> I bought Brillo pads. I, I knew 1,000% sure that I could not get that burn off with a Brillo pad. If I could, the bubble would still be there. And I sat there. And I would do this, and I would do this. And I think what I was thinking is, if the owner just knows that I tried, maybe, maybe it won't be as bad. Well, that's the event. That's the first event. How about the second event? The second event, we use the word enemy. An estranged relationship. Here's the human story. I never met the owner. I didn't know a thing about him. Didn't know who he was. All I knew is I'd ask when I got there, will I be able to meet the fellow? Well, he, no, he's out of town and doubt you'll be able to meet him. Okay. So I'm at least knowing that I'm going to have to write him. I'm going to have to call him. And I'm thinking, what in the world will I do? I have no idea how I'm going to approach this owner. And my friend Rob calls me and he says, hey, Randy. I just heard from John, who is the owner, and he's come back in town. He said he would love to meet you <laughs> and wondered about if you were free for breakfast tomorrow morning. I nearly died. I didn't know what to say. I haven't told Rob about what has happened either. I'm just, I'm just trying to get the thing fixed before the end of the week, and I'm realizing I can't. I don't know what to do. The week's running out. I said, what do I do? What do I do? And I just said, okay, I'll meet you. We set the time and place. And from that moment on, I was sick. I mean, I was just sick. And you know what I spent my time doing? Trying to plan out what I was going to say. 
There was not one way that I could make it sound even remotely okay. I mean, I had ruined this place. I knew it, and I couldn't come up with a story, though I rehearsed it over and over, and I did not know what I was going to say. Well, the divine story. What are we going to say to God when we meet him? And most of us, though we maybe have heard the story that the consequence of sin is death, we think if we just rehearse our story, if we have a good enough story, maybe okay. But look what it says in Colossians 2 again. In verse 14 it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And by the way, the decrees hostile to us, which brings the rest of Scripture saying, and God is hostile to us. We're hostile toward God because of what's happened. He's hostile toward us. Let me tell you, folks, most people, even, even those that are, are just theists, they say, you know, I do believe that God is really going to be okay with me. He will be. No, 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 no. He's hostile to us. No doubt about it. And rightly so. Hostile. I learned early as a Christian, I learned that I was going to have to have a moral audit to my life. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. There's your audit. And every one of us say, man, I want to I know the right thing to say at the moral audit. I got a call just this last week, and it was from somebody that I'm very close to, and they said, look, I was just talking to such and such, a friend, not a member of this church, and said, this person is in his last days, and he's very, very, very concerned about his eternity. Would you come talk to him? My friendship with this person and with him as well, I said, absolutely. And so I go and I meet with him. He's difficult to talk, but we can carry on a conversation. I said, so are you ready to die? He started to, to cry. He started to sob. And he says, I want, to, I want to understand, I want to know. Get his words exactly, I want to know. But it, I said, that gave me an opportunity, and I, I kind of went, you know, you know, let me tell you. You know, I was not concerned. I knew if I talked about the resurrection, he'd say, I believe it. You believe in God? Oh, I believe it. You believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe it. Do you believe that he gave the gift that he gave? Oh, I believe it. You know my concern? Did he believe in his own debt? That's where we really have a struggle to understand that our debt is so big that we truly and rightly so have an enemy. Takes us to the third event. It's called gift, an undeserved gift at that. Back to the human story. I go there that morning. My heart was just pounding. I didn't know if this was a mean man, a nice man, what he's going to, I had no idea. I sit down with him and He's as pleasant as he can be. In his very first words, he said, I am so glad to meet you, and I am so glad you could use my condo. <laughs> oh, my. I had four words in reply. I simply said, I don't think so. <laughs> he had no idea. He said, what did you say? I said, I, I don't think so. He said, what do you mean, I don't think, what are you talking about? He said, I, I said, I don't think you're going to be glad that I use your condo. And he said, well, why is that? I said, because I destroyed it. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I burned the counters. They're worthless. The, ca the cabinets, they're gone. The carpet, you're going to have to replace. And by the way, all the furniture, the upholstery, it's gone. You're going to have to paint the place. And the outdoor carpet, let me tell you, it's already ripped up. He looked at me and said, what happened? Small little fire. Oh, I was sick even telling him, you know. I'll never forget his response. He looked at me and he said, Randy, I don't want you to have one more thought about this. I don't want you to say another word about it starting right now. This thing is done. He said, I have the resources. I'm okay. I will take care of it at my expense. You don't worry about it, okay? And then he said, would you like for me to get you another place to stay? I said, absolutely not. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. One is my limit. I'm not. I'm, no, 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 no. Can you imagine what happened to me at that moment when that gift was given? Let me tell you, it's the divine story that's the great story of it's okay. Don't think about it. I got the resources taken care of. That is the story of God to those who are his. He says, look, no, it's not your moral record. Let me, you can't clean it up. You don't have the resources, but I do and I will. I will take care of it. Let me tell you, it's by the shedding of his blood. That's how it happens. It's by the shedding of blood. You know, there's a, a text in, in, in Leviticus and then in Hebrews, the same thing. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But with the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. When perfection sheds blood, then that which is unholy and unrighteous can be redeemed. That's the story of redemption right there. That's what Easter is all about because it's preceded by Good Friday. That's the great story. Colossians 2.14, this is how it says it. It says, having canceled out the certificate of debt. It's canceled. It's over. It's gone. It's just, it's just evaporated. Unbelievable. See, we have two options. We either say, all right, at death, I'll, I'll just cover my own. I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll talk to God. I'll, I'll see if I can make it right just by telling him. Or I can say, no, I'm going to go this pathway. I'm going to let him do it for me. Can you imagine Jesus carrying the crossbeam up Calvary? And he's lugging that thing up. And all of a sudden, he looks over. And he sees, he sees Eden. He says, Eden, come here. Come here. And, and Eden walks up, and she has a, a placard around her neck. It's a certificate. It's a certificate of death. It's a death warrant. And he says, here, let me have your certificate. And he takes it. And he puts it on the cross, and he says to the centurion, hey, can I, can I have one of those, those, uh, those nails there? Can I have your mallet just for a minute? And he takes it, and he goes, whack. And he says, hey, Eden, guess what? My blood is going to cover that in just a short few hours. You're going to be okay. Hey, Luke, come here, buddy. Come here. Come here just a minute. I, I got some. Can I, have your little, can I have your little certificate? Yeah, yeah. Here, let me have it. Whack. 
He says, oh, by the way, it's finished. It's finished. It's been dealt with. It's, it really is okay. He goes to, he goes to Peyton. He says, Peyton, come here, come here. Just a minute. Come here, come here. And he takes it. Whack. It's done. It's done. Hey, Wyatt, come here just a minute. Come here. And he goes, whack, it's done. Just like that. And he says, it's, it's taken care of. I'll tell you, here's the way it works. I'll give you my righteousness, my perfect righteousness, in exchange for your certificate of debt. But you got to hand it over. That's your trust of me. You can't keep trying to work it out. You have to let me do it. Leads to the last and the final event of the, the story, and that's friend. A restored relationship. The human story. So here I am at breakfast. I loved that breakfast. <laughs> I enjoyed the food. It was like, oh, my worry was gone. My burden was lifted. And let me tell you, I looked at a man that I had just met. And as far as I'm concerned, he's my best friend. If he'd asked anything of me, in the realm of possibility, I said, you got it, friend. You got it. Why wouldn't I? Well, the divine story is the same. When that burden is lifted, peace, eternal security, freedom. How? By faith. Kind of like a marriage where you say, you know, there's a lot of unknown and some things I know I won't like about marriage. But because of this love relationship, I'm willing to give up the freedom of single life. And I'll take on the responsibilities that go with being married. And you walk the aisle and you say, let's do it. How do you know if you've really walked the aisle? How do you know if you've said, here's my certificate? How do you really know? Well, that was the question I had from a man that I've been meeting with for a number of weeks now walking through the gospel. He's a young guy, very young guy. We've been talking, and he's a young businessman and so forth, and, 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 and it was like, where, well, how are you coming now in your pilgrimage? He said, man, my journey is moving. I'm making good progress. Are you there yet? Do you think you've been through the ceremony of marriage, and you really said, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really trying to one thing I'm trying to figure out. And, and so we got to talking about how do you know? I said, you want to know how you know? Here's how you'll really know. Because you're going to be walking through life, and you're going to come to some pathways, and there's going to be a split. And one way is going to be the way you want to go. Everything in you wants to go that way. However, there's another pathway, the other way, that's the way that your Savior, your God, your King will say, this is where you go. And you're going to have to make a decision. Now, the good news is, because of who you are, where you are, and your background, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to want to go where he wants to go. You don't want to kill people. And he doesn't want you to kill people. That's not going to be a problem. But you're going to have a path here where it says, now, this is not what I want for you. And it's very clear. You know that. And now that you know it, and you know how you'll know that you really are in that relationship, you will do one of two things. Either you will say, I am going this way, because how can I not having understood the story. Or you may go the wrong way. You may go the wrong way, but as you go that wrong way, you're going to say, I hate this. I'm miserable doing the things I love. And you'll know you've come into a relationship 
you will know the story. The story will be yours. You're still going to have struggles. It won't make you better than other people, but it'll make you better off than other people. You will experience things like freedom. You'll experience things like peace. In fact, I love the way it says in Romans 5, it kind of summarizes it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We still struggle, Christian. But you know what we do when we're in our struggles? I'm talking about our spiritual struggles. We go back to the story, we rehearse it, and what we'll hopefully do for the rest of our lives is we will say, debt, mm. enemy, yep, gift, then you got it, friend. That's the great story. Let me close. What now? Seeker, here's what I would encourage you to do. And same thing I told my friend as we were talking to lunch. I said, you need some new exposure. He said, what do you mean? I said, you need exposure to what? You need exposure to God's people and God's word. As much as you can find good exposure, you need a new environment. You need an environment of truth. You need an environment of what I'm going to call people of truth. You just need that. I told him the story of a couple that I had the opportunity of remarrying. I met the man, had the privilege of leading him to Christ, found out he'd been divorced from a woman that was a Christian. And I said, over time, I said, tell me about it. He said, oh, we hate each other. We absolutely hate each other. We hate each other then. We hate each other now. It's terrible. I said, do you ever think maybe you should get remarried? He said, I hope not. <laughs> over time, he came to the place. He said, I don't really like her, and she doesn't like me, but I think she would agree. It'd probably be good for the kids, blah, 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 and we should get married. I said, okay. Let's. And I had the privilege of remarrying them. Didn't like each other, but they got married. After some weeks of marriage, he said, nothing's changed. We still hate each other. I said, you know, I could tell you all the things I need to tell you, but the best way I can see you change is i got to put you in a new environment. I called a group of friends of mine that had a little group of couples that really loved each other and had good marriages. I said, I just want you to live among those people once a week. One night a week when you all have your meeting, just get with them. Don't worry about what's said. Just be with them. Now, years and years later, that couple is the, as happy as any couple we're going to talk to, I'm telling you. They look back and say, can you believe how badly we hated each other and now love each other so much? You know what it was? It was an environment. So I'm going to encourage you that are seekers here. Uh, get some truth. I'm, I've got a book that I've written just for you. I mean, for people who are just trying to put it together. It's called The Answer. It's short, easy to read. I mean, real easy. It'll be available. It'll be a gift. We'd love for you to take it. The church. Come to church. If not here, somewhere where the message, the story is being told. Go find a good church. Find a small group. And then do this. Say, God, I want to come to the place where I can crown you as my king. That's what it's all about. Crowning him as king. He's ruler. Believer, word to you as our choir comes out. Financial analysts, they tell us. Story I heard a long time ago. Great illustration. Financial analysts say that the key to our national financial security is to eliminate the federal debt. They say if that happened, the stock markets, I mean, they would respond, interest rates, they would plummet, unemployment would almost be gone. Imagine that there were an eccentric old miner in the foothills of Colorado and discovers the largest vein of gold in the history of mankind, never known to be there. 
It's worth trillions and trillions of dollars. And this, and this miner says, I don't need it. And he gives it to the government. He pays off the national debt. There would be a national holiday that we would celebrate forever where the national debt was covered. Christian, that's what Easter is. This is our, this is our moment to celebrate the moral debt that we've had that's been paid off and made legitimate, for sure, reliable, no question about it, because of the resurrection, historical, we know it. And so we're going to celebrate. And I'm going to say to you that are Christians, as we sing this song, and I'm going to invite you that are seekers as well, as we sing the song, it's going to use these words, crown him. Some of you seekers may say, Lord, right now, to the best of my ability, I crown you. I crown you. Come into his kingdom. Look and see what he's done, the great gift. For those that are Christians, why not every Easter? And all in between, I agree, but particularly at Easter, we renew our vows. And as we sing crown him, we don't just say crown him. We say, Lord, I crown you. In your heart, you say that. And you say, God, I'm walking after you, whatever it means. This is a song 300 years ago written by a missionary in India, and it's now known as the international anthem for the Christian faith. Let's stand and let's sing together. Then I'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege to, to crown you. We have an offer to crown you. Many of us have in very special ways. We ask that this would just be an event that leads through a series I mean an entire walk with you. And we pray, our Father, that our walk would be sweet and rich even this day as we keep contemplating this great story. You're good. We thank you. And we're glad to call you our Father and our friend. And we do in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.